0: Gladys asked the pastor if she could make an announcement at the close of her husband's funeral. Bishop Williman, who tells this story, told her yes. He said yes, even though this is not something that was typically done at a funeral. He figured that maybe she just wanted to get up and to thank everyone for making the effort to come out to this funeral service. As the ceremony was coming to a close, just before the benediction, Will Williman stood up and he said, Now Gladys would like to come and make an announcement. Gladys stood up and she said, Everyone is invited over to the house right after the burial for a good time. I've got plenty of good food. I've got a cooler full of drinks and we're going to send John out in style. We're going to throw a big party after all. John would want it that way. And I have to admit that as I hear the story, it seems kind of strange. Funerals and parties don't seem to go together, do they? They don't really seem to fit. There are times when a party is appropriate, but there are also times when a party seems inappropriate. And that brings us to our text This morning, as we continue our sermon series, exploring the parables of Jesus called Moral of the Story. Last week, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, and this morning, we turn our attention to the parable of the prodigal son. Our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to a census, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I've never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, son, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus tells this parable of the prodigal son. A son goes to his father and demands his share of the inheritance and in asking for this inheritance, the youngest son essentially is saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what is mine. The younger son has this sense of entitlement. Give me what I want. I want it now. It's kind of like from the movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, this younger son has given me some Veruca salt vibes. He wants it and he wants it now. And at any moment, we can expect him to break out in song, uh, talking about how much he wants a goose with a golden egg. The audacity of this younger son cannot be overstated. N.T. Wright further explains the seriousness of the son's, younger son's actions by saying, When the father divided the property between the two sons and the younger son turned his share into cash, This must have meant that the land the father owned had been split in two, with the younger boy selling off his share of the land to someone else. So basically, this son sells half of his family's farm. This farm that has probably been in their family for generations is now being carved up, and half of it is being sold to someone else. The younger son doesn't seem to care anything about family legacy or the history of the farm. He simply takes the money and runs. The younger son goes off to a foreign land. He drinks, he gambles, he parties until there's nothing left. He's now completely broke. He's penniless and destitute. He is forced to get a job doing what no Jewish man should ever do, tending to The pigs. Things get so bad that this man even looks at the food that the pigs are eating and desires to eat that same food. I guess you could say he truly wanted to pig out. But this son has hit rock bottom. This is as low as it gets for a person of the Jewish faith being around pigs. These unclean animals. And in this low moment in his life, he comes to his senses. He comes up with this plan. He says, you know, how many of my father's hired hands have better lives than this, have more food? Here I am starving to death. I'll get up, I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer desire to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. And so the son decides to go back Home. And I can imagine that was the longest walk of his life. I can imagine that he spent that whole time reflecting on all of the mistakes that he had made. He probably spends that whole time practicing that speech over and over and over again in his head, constantly thinking about how he's going to say this to his father. I'm sure that he's filled with anxiety and fear And I'm sure that those feelings only grew as he draws closer and closer to his father's house. But the father sees the prodigal son coming down the road in the far off distance. He must have been watching for him, waiting for his son to come back, hoping that his beloved son would return to him. Because when he sees His son, this old man, takes off running. He takes off running right toward his younger son. He embraces him. He hugs him. He kisses him. Notice that before this younger son even has a chance to start rattling off his prepared apology, his prepared speech, the father hugs him, kisses him, embraces him, showing him that he doesn't need an apology. He doesn't need to hear a speech. He's just glad his son is safe back in his arms. Father doesn't hold any grudges or harsh feelings toward his son. He isn't saying to himself, well, I can't wait for my son to return because I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. No, he's been longing to see his son. And so he shows compassion. He shows love. He shows mercy. He forgives him of his sins, and he welcomes him back home with open arms. The Scottish theologian, William Barclay, argues that this parable should never have been called the parable of the prodigal son, for the son is not the hero. It should be called the parable of the loving father, for it tells us rather about a father's love than a son's sin. The love of this father, is really extravagant, because not only does the father forgive his son, but he also throws him a party. Now, again, this is pretty strange. He's throwing a party for his son, who has done too much partying. It's like throwing a party at a funeral. It doesn't make sense. And sure, you know, the father should be happy that his son has returned, but should he really be throwing him? A party, you know, tempi- typically when a, when a son or daughter acts this foolishly, there are some serious repercussions. They're grounded. No television, no phone, no video games, whatever, for a whole year at least. Instead, we see a young man who is lovingly welcomed home and celebrated with a lavish party. But this is not where the parable ends. We see the welcoming of the prodigal son from a loving father, but then we see a much different response from the older brother. The older brother had been working in the fields. Notice he's outdoing his job, doing what he should have been doing all along. And he hears this commotion, he hears this music, he sees this dancing, he smells the food, and he learns of his brother's return. And he gets upset. He is so upset that he refuses to join that party. He sits outside and his temper rises and he grows angrier and angrier. And I'm sure that he's thinking to himself, really? Really? A party? You know, this is not the appropriate time for a party. We shouldn't be celebrating my little brother, he squandered his inheritance. He made us lose half the farm. The older brother, in my opinion, has every right to be angry. It just doesn't make sense. Why would you reward such bad behavior? The older brother has done everything right. He stayed with his father, he's worked on the farm, he's made all of the right decisions in his life. He's always done the right thing. It must have been difficult for him to see his younger brother receive this extravagant party after making such a stupid mistake. Why doesn't his father throw a party for him instead? Over time, the father realizes that his older son has not joined the party, so he goes outside and he begs for him to come in. The brother is indignant. He has conversation with his father calling him out. He says, look, I've served you all of these years and I've never disobeyed your instruction, yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the and calf for him. Then his father says, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. N.T. Wright further explains this conversation. Everything the father has belongs to the older brother because the younger brother has spent his share. And that is part of the problem. The older brother sees all too clearly that anything now spent on his brother Will be coming out of his own inheritance. The older brother is so frustrated with this situation that he fails to show his own brother compassion. I think the older brother isn't as mad at his younger brother as he is at his father. You know, I, I think the older brother is probably glad that his younger brother is okay, that he's back home safe, but he's furious that his father is rewarding this bad behavior. He wants the punishment to fit the crime. But this party is a message of forgiveness from a father to his son. The party is a symbol of forgiveness. There are a number of places in the Bible where the forgiveness of God is described as a celebration. In Zechariah 3, 4, the prophet says that Israel stands in dirty clothes before God because of Israel's sin. The prophet says, take off his filthy clothes. Look, I have removed your guilt from you. Put on priestly robes. It's almost exactly the same as this parable of the prodigal son where the father says to the servants, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. In the gospels, we see that Jesus is kind of known for enjoying parties, even at inappropriate times and even with inappropriate people. Jesus partied so much that he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. He communed with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. So maybe we can draw a parallel between the father and this parable and Jesus. A party is a sign of forgiveness. If that is the case, then I'm glad that Jesus likes to party. I'm glad that Jesus likes to celebrate, but you know, often we respond like that older brother. But he doesn't deserve a party. But he doesn't deserve forgiveness. And here's the thing the older brother is right. The prodigal son doesn't deserve forgiveness. He has done nothing to deserve a party. And just like the prodigal son, we don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve a party. We don't deserve grace. But Jesus responds, it doesn't matter. I'm going to throw you a party anyway. The parable ends with us not knowing what happens. Does the older brother continue to sit outside and sulk? Or does he decide to join the party? Friends, I invite you this morning to go and join the party. Amen.